back to Podiatry Today podcast, where we bring you the latest in foot and ankle medicine and surgery from leaders in the field. Today, our discussion will be about minimally invasive bunion surgery. Our recent May 2021 issue highlighted a cover story, Roundtable Insights on Minimally Invasive Bunion Surgery, headed by our moderator and guest today, Dr. Bradley Abicht. Dr. Abicht is the section chair of the Podiatric Medicine and Surgery Department at Gunderson Health System in La Crosse, Wisconsin. He's a fellow of the American College of Foot and Ankle Surgeons, and he discloses that he is a consultant for Novastep. If you'd like to see the cover story from the May 2021 issue, be sure to go to podiatrytoday.com after listening to the podcast today. Dr. Abick, thank you so much for moderating this dynamic group of surgeons in this roundtable discussion, and also for being with us today to expand more on minimally invasive bunion surgery. Can you start out by telling us a little bit about how you got into MIS or percutaneous bunion correction? For me, it goes back to uh, my interest and uh, kind of skill set that I learned with foot and ankle arthroscopy. That has been a big part of my practice uh, since residency, and once I started learning more about percutaneous and minimum incision procedures, I was able to apply a lot of the skills that are, are fairly similar in arthroscopy to some of the MIS or percutaneous procedures. I also uh, did go to do some extra training with a high-volume surgeon that does a lot of percutaneous and, and minimum incision procedures, and that's where I, I guess I first got exposed to some of the procedures and then took those back to our training center here and, and tried to perfect them. So can you tell me a little bit about your personal approach to MIS bunion correction? What procedures work best for you? Yeah, I think some of the more common procedures uh, that I'm currently doing, either through an MIS or percutaneous approach, would be bunionectomies and, and hallux valgus correction, hallux rigidus correction with uh, percutaneous uh, great toe joint fusions. Some osteotomies uh, can be done through a percutaneous approach, and uh, whenever I can employ that approach, I, I like to do that uh, just to limit the disruption of the soft tissues and smaller incisions typically lead to less scarring, a um, little less swelling, less pain, uh, less overall complications for some of these more traditional open procedures that we do. But those would be the most common things. Um, and then from there, I guess it really depends on the patient, uh, patient's pathology and the specific goals we have for whatever surgery we're doing. If there's a way to do that through a, a MIS or percutaneous approach, I will at least talk to them about that and try and accomplish it that way if possible. Is there an ideal patient profile for someone that would be likely successful through MIS bunion correction? Is there a specific set of characteristics that you think lend itself to that type of procedure? Well, in terms of uh, bunions and hallux valgus correction, I think the majority of, of the bunions that I'm correcting are in that kind of mild to moderate uh, stage. In some of the more severe bunions, I, I still employ a, a lot of times an open approach or even a, a lapidus type fusion. But I would say too that there are uh, newer techniques being developed for lapidus fusions that would include MIS or percutaneous approaches. Um, so I think as this stuff evolves, there'll be more options for even some of those procedures. But more commonly right now, I would say it's a, a mild to moderate uh, bunion or hallux valgus deformity 
There's not an exact criteria. Again, it, it probably just depends more on the patient's anatomy, the pathology that we're approaching. And then, it, you know, it, it should be a conversation between the surgeon and the patient to basically present these options and, and come to an agreement between both parties on how to approach it. And if I do have someone that signed up for uh, MIS or percutaneous approaches, I, I do always give them that caveat that, you know, if we're not able to accomplish the procedure through that type of approach, there's, there's a chance that we would convert it to an open approach. And um, so having the patient understand that is, is really critical to making a successful surgery. I think that's a good point across the board for surgeons in general to really have the, the patients on board with the uh, ramifications of different aspects of the procedure. Speaking of that, are there any particular contraindications that you keep in mind when it comes to percutaneous or MIS bunion correction? Well, I think uh, a lot of the contraindications that apply for an open approach uh, also apply for a percutaneous approach. In terms of uh, like bunions and hallux valgus specifically, they'd be basically the same contraindications. Um, so I don't think there's any major differences there. I think using a percutaneous or, or a minimum incision approach is another way to cut down uh, some patient population's overall risk factors. So folks that maybe have some degree of PAD or they're diabetic, or they may be more prone to developing a post-operative infection or a wound healing complication. We're not so much talking about a contraindication, but they actually might be a better uh, subset to approach their procedure through a MIS or percutaneous approach just to try and limit some of these post-operative uh, complications and side effects that we see with our procedures. Absolutely. There does see, seem to be some agreement in the literature in the world of MIS and percutaneous bunion surgery as far as a steep learning curve being in existence. So what are your thoughts on ways that interested surgeons might be able to overcome this learning curve? Yeah, that's a great point and, and a good question. I, I would agree there's definitely a learning curve and, and that's important for, I think, anybody to recognize prior to starting to do this type of work is that there is a learning curve and it's a little different than even the learning curve that you might go through in a residency training uh, with some of our more traditional open approaches. So having that understanding going into it, it can be frustrating when you first start because Everything is a different type of feel and you're not used to it. It's definitely important to shadow with a different surgeon that does uh, these types of procedures and try and uh, pick up as many pearls from them as you can when you're getting started. Um, and also to practice these procedures, whether it's on sawbones, cadavers, you know, whatever it may be, just to, to get that kind of stereokinetic feel of how these procedures go. And even once you have that down, just continuing to practice these techniques because it does uh, take a number of different procedures to get over that learning curve. And um, in the meantime, you don't want to be, you know, hurting patients while you're, while you're trying to get over that learning curve. So the more you can do on cadavers and, and simulated, the better. That's always a good place to start. And then, of course, um, there are certain uh, courses that, that you can take uh, to gain more practice with it. There's certainly a lot of literature out there, too, that I have reviewed prior to getting into it. So understanding kind of where MIS and percutaneous started and some of the history behind it will also help to prevent, I guess, further complications in the future or repeating some of that history that might be associated with it and just trying to refine the technique and make it better as it, as it evolves. I think we're at a point right now, though, where some of that has happened and, and some of the technology has now caught up with 
the technique. And so now we're seeing better outcomes from it. And, and I think you're only going to see that kind of continue and, and there'll be a whole nother world of these types of procedures that can be applied through a MIS or percutaneous approach. So being that the training is so important in really mastering these percutaneous and MIS techniques, where in one's podiatric medical education do you feel like this falls? Is this something that would be best introduced at the podiatry school level, the residency training level, or more specialized during fellowship and practice-based training? Um, I think uh, personally that that there should be an exposure to it at least in uh, an early setting. So in in podiatry school is probably a good time to at least expose people to it. That doesn't mean that everyone has to do it, um, but I really did not learn about some of these techniques until well after my residency, um, and so it, it would have been more helpful to know about these techniques and start even practicing some of them early along with some of the more open traditional procedures we do, even if it's not on you know, a real patient, again, cadaver labs and saw bones and things like that. Um, so I think it'd be important to at least expose people early in their career to these techniques. And I would also say that there are gonna be some people that may have interest in it or, or even try it, but they're gonna find out that this is not for them and, and that's okay. I think that's uh, really important and actually probably speaks more to a surgeon's ability if they're able to recognize that, hey, I, I just can't do this through an MIS or percutaneous approach. That's definitely not the message that I would send people is that now everything has to be done through these approaches. That's going to be a lot, a lot of time dependent upon the, the surgeon's skill and uh, their interest level in, in kind of developing these uh, techniques. So... I think getting an exposure early and then um, starting to run with that and, and build your skills from there, certainly involving it in either residencies or fellowships uh, with some hands-on things, whether again, it's, it's labs that you're doing, or if you do have an attending surgeon that does these techniques and you can uh, get involved in those techniques, I think that would be helpful. And then even once you get out in, into kind of the real world and after residency training or your fellowship, continuing to practice these and, and doing them on your own will be very important. So going to more courses, studying or, or training with uh, high volume surgeons that do a lot of these types of procedures, um, that'll be important to continue to refine the techniques. So from your standpoint, to round things out today, what does the future look like for minimally invasive bunion surgery? Do you think that MIS techniques in this area may lead to exploration of uh, MIS approaches in other areas of foot and ankle surgery? I think the more common areas that we're currently uh, doing percutaneous and MIS procedures will expand. Um, you'll also see likely uh, more industry involvement in trying to develop implants or, or different uh, operative techniques that would allow us to do some of our more traditional procedures through a either MIS or percutaneous approach that sometimes can be a double-edged sword, but in general, as long as the technology keeps moving forward and it allows us to offer patients uh, these options which have certain advantages to them, it's ultimately gonna benefit the patient. And that's, that's really what we should be here trying to do, I guess, is improve these techniques so that they can have better outcomes. And I think you're, you're gonna see a lot of patients that once they learn more about this, they're gonna seek certain surgeons out that can do these techniques uh, and maybe even over you know, 
some surgeons that are doing just traditional open approaches. I think that'll take a long time to develop, but um, as these techniques develop more and more, I think you'll see more of that. We also need more prospective studies on these types of techniques. So uh, that's one thing that American literature is lacking right now is good prospective randomized controlled trials uh, analyzing these types of techniques. Um, there is some literature uh, in Europe uh, that has looked at a lot of these techniques, but I would say we, we need to do a better job at um, evaluating our, our uh, MIS and percutaneous techniques and setting up good quality studies to uh, truly prove whether or not, you know, it's, it's better than an open approach uh, or it truly is benefiting a patient. Right now, a lot of it is anecdotal and, you know, I certainly see it in my clinic. I see a high patient satisfaction. I see good results. I can accomplish everything uh, that a traditional open bunion procedure accomplishes, uh, but I can also do it through these very small percutaneous incisions. And typically it's leading to less pain, less swelling, less complications, early weight bearing, and, and a very high patient satisfaction. And so um, when you start to see that stuff, it's hard to go back to the open, more traditional approach. And so as, as I think more surgeons and more patients see that, there's going to be a, a natural gravitation towards trying to learn these uh, types of techniques. Thank you so much for all this information today. I think this topic is very important and lots of people in the field are interested in learning more about it, uh, both the pros and the cons and where this is headed in the future. So to learn more, as we mentioned before, please see our roundtable insights on minimally invasive bunion surgery in the May 2021 issue of Podiatry Today. We hope you'll join us again in the future. Thank you so much for doing so today, and thank you to Dr. Abicht for being our guest, and we'll see you next time on Podiatry Today Podcasts.